Welcome to part three of Herbert Smith Freehill's Revolution or Evolution podcast series, where we look at technology and the changing dispute resolution landscape. I'm Jeremy Purton, a senior associate in the firm's tech, media and telecoms team, and I focus on large, complex or novel technology and outsourcing transactions. I'm joined today by Martin Heavey, a senior associate in HSF's IT and TMT disputes practice and UK co-lead of the firm's digital law group. I'm also joined by Rachel Lydgate, a partner in the firm's dispute resolution division, who's experienced in acting for clients in complex IT outsourcing and digital transformation disputes. In part one, we've surveyed current trends and disputes between technology suppliers and customers. And in part two, we discussed the sort of risk mitigation and early intervention measures that we're seeing in the market. Now we're taking a look at what happens when things don't go to plan and we'll be discussing some tips and strategies for dealing with this. In keeping with our fences and ambulances theme, we like to think of some of these strategies as the ambulances at the bottom of the cliff. Now, let's imagine that your softer levers, your governance measures, your fences at the top haven't quite worked out. The parties are in dispute, something's gone wrong. Where do you go from here? Well, Jeremy, a lot will depend on the interaction between the circumstances giving rise to that dispute and what the contract provides for. Um, ideally, there will be some form of relationship between these, uh, but you can't always guarantee it. And over the years, Rachel and I have both seen contracts that are deliberately light on detail, which means that one might need to think very creatively as to how a dispute is framed. So what can you look for in a contract? Well, it's important to use the contractual levers at your disposal. Uh, in part two of this podcast, we discussed some levers around change control and governance. Beyond those, the most obvious levers are likely to be by dispute resolution mechanism or where appropriate for termination. But there may be also other opportunities to renegotiate some or all of the arrangements. In relation to dispute resolution, it's important that a party escalates at the right points and to the right people in a way that is in accordance with the contract. Ultimately, though, the key point when a dispute arises is that a party must make sure it understands its options and legal risks. That might also involve thinking about the commercial options and what amendments can be made to the contract to help. What I would emphasize here, and you might expect me to say this, but I can assure you it's from experience, is the importance of bringing in dispute lawyers at an early stage, ideally before that dispute escalates. A lot of the work that we do now is rightly focused on how to avoid disputes, but sometimes we're called upon quite late in the day that can mean disputes that perhaps could have been avoided or reduced in severity have escalated. And there is sometimes a risk that the party has prejudiced its position in the meantime. Perhaps the most important point to bear in mind here is that a party can't decide its strategy until it is clear on its obligations, rights, remedies and risks, which is something that we as lawyers are experienced in advising on. And on your points about contractual levers, rights, remedies, risks and understanding your options, how useful is termination in a disputes context? We certainly see it threatened often, but it's important to remember that it's not necessarily the party's interest to terminate a contract. As a preliminary point, contractual termination clauses can be complex and can be high risk as the party terminates incorrectly. Uh, it could be found to be in repudiatory breach of that contract. As such, any party thinking of terminating must be very clear as to whether a termination trigger has been met. Just as important is for a party to ask itself, does termination really get you where you want to be? Uh, there are many factors that will play into that. For example, it would be important to understand if there is an exit plan and or how long the uh, supplier will have to stay around even if you do terminate. Sometimes the answer, though, is that it might be in the best interest to terminate. 
whilst rare, uh, certainly we have seen some projects that have been, for whatever reason, in a position where it's neither viable or profitable for either party to persist. And so termination can be the best option for both parties. And of course, on the same subject, these days it's important to remember that a complex IT contract is usually situated with an even more complex business environment. For a customer, it's almost never as simple as simply jettisoning one service provider and signing up a new one. Martin has mentioned exit plans and, and they can certainly give rise to disputes in themselves. But there, are all, might, there might be all sorts of reasons why it would be better for parties to try to renegotiate or re-baseline uh, an IT project contract than to terminate it. I think that's right. Certainly on the, on the customer side, however difficult that dispute is, most IT is there for a business-oriented reason, whether that's a, a back office service or a front office one. And so termination, I think, is very much a lever of last resort. What you'll often find is parties need to do two things at once here. They need to resolve the dispute and agree how they're going to move on and, if necessary, move out. That can be time consuming, uh, it can be expensive and itself can lead to failures. And in the IT context, there are often really crunchy issues that play out. The cost of continuing with the project or bringing in a new supplier can outweigh the benefits. Similarly, the cost of pursuing a dispute may exceed the value of any claim. Added to that, any IT contract will involve complex systems, which are often critical to a business. And so any approach you take needs to bear these in mind. And bringing in a new supplier can be unpredictable in that you don't know how that supplier will perform. Similarly, given the complexity of matters, it can sometimes be difficult to predict how any disputes will pan out. Finally, where a replacement supplier is brought in, that may involve a data migration to its systems, which is another complex process that is sometimes the cause of disputes in and of itself. And there can also be risks in integrating any systems a new supplier brings into uh, its existing systems. I think that that often leads to a twin track approach, perhaps, to resolving some of these disputes. We we often talk about, you know, maybe a settlement agreement occurring in parallel with some sort of contract reset or exit agreement, essentially trying to resolve or at least dampen the immediate issues around a dispute in a way that does allow the customer and supplier to A, keep the lights on to the extent you've got a business critical IT service, but also chart that pathway towards a more stable, smooth exit. And I, I think, Martin, that what this really does is give both the supplier and the customer a little bit more certainty over how something will resolve and play out and can also enable the parties to part, if not perhaps on the best terms, at least without the threat of litigation hanging over either of them. Quite. You would always want to ensure a full and final settlement of, of any obligations or liabilities in, in an exit scenario. But perhaps even more, more common where you have a renegotiation or, or a major rebaselining, I think it's important for the parties to step back and realise how they got into that situation and really try to, to fix that as far as possible as part of the rebaselining. Sometimes I think parties don't really grapple with the issues and they put in place a hurried amendment that really just kicks the can down the road and you will end up back in dispute uh, in the not too distant. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, these are the, the sort of points and issues that can otherwise wear parties down. And I think agreeing those full and final settlements 
getting things back on track and and focusing on that root cause analysis if you need to to identify what the tipping point was or what the the origin of a given dispute or disagreement was absolutely critical what else should parties be aware of if they're in a dispute so the first point i'd make jeremy is, is really a purely practical one um, and that can be that there can be a high turnover of staff both in a customer's it function and the supplier that's often exacerbated where there has been a failed transformation project, regardless of who's to blame. And there are a number of issues that arise with that, um, but parties should give mind to those relationships. It might be important to look to ensure that key employees give their insights on any dispute before they leave a company, or at least are willing to help in the future if a dispute does arise. The second point is both practical and legal. Um, if your dispute is subject to high court jurisdiction, there are strict rules about non-deletion of documents, and so you need to get your house in order early on to ensure no potentially relevant documents are lost. That will often involve ensuring any automatic deletion processes are halted and that individuals ensure they're not deleting items and that while workers are leaving the company, their documents are preserved. There can also be challenges in understanding who owns data in disputes. For instance, if documents have been created uh, and stored on a customer's systems, and so you should think about what rights and responsibilities you have in relation to that data. Related to that same point above, whilst there is more flexibility these days in what type of disclosure a course orders, more often than not, a party will hand over relevant documents, both helpful and unhelpful. In relation to that latter category, what we sometimes see is unhelpful documents being created. For example, critiquing a company's own performance. Those are often disclosable and can be powerful weapon in the hands of a opponent. That's certainly right. And I think parties who start to feel that they are in a real dispute would be well advised to stick to the facts in their exchanges as far as possible. It is always the unsolicited and incorrect expression of opinion, which is unhelpful. And as a disputes lawyer, you couldn't possibly expect me to get to the end of any publication without mentioning privilege. Obviously, privilege does mean that you don't have to disclose those documents. However, the rules on privilege are very difficult. Arguably, they've got even more difficult of late in some ways. Uh, and we regularly find that parties have, uh, or more concerningly, continue to create documents which they think are covered by legal professional privilege, but they are not. And obviously, you can't put the genie back in the bottle if something wasn't privileged to start with, or it becomes uh, non-privileged, it loses privilege, then there is nothing you can do about it. But by the same measure, it, you can't protect everything by legal professional privilege um, because it would just not be workable. Uh, a business still needs to get things done and, and not everything can be dealt with within the confines of privilege. In this respect, uh, it is a common misconception that parties can ensure legal professional privilege over a document simply by copying in an internal or an external lawyer. But that is not the case. Um, the relevant test will always be to look at the purpose of an email and the details of who it was sent to and why. But I think the overarching message for these purposes is do, do take advice on privilege if you're starting to get into a dispute and you need to, so that whilst the business can continue to operate, there are protections put in place so that sensitive material is protected by legal professional privilege as far as possible. Thanks, Rachel. We're coming to the end of part three and also the end of our series uh, on fences and ambulances. Uh, I'd like to give thanks to Martin Heavey and Rachel Lydgate 
And I also want to remind uh, you that there will be further podcasts in our Revolution or Evolution series, including collaboration disputes, trade secrets, software audit and data licensing, reputation management, investment protection, and technology dispute resolution procedures. We've got a whole host of experts who will be sharing their thoughts and experiences. So please do join us for the next podcasts in our series. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. We hope you found this interesting and please do stay tuned for further podcasts in our Revolution or Evolution series. Thank you.